This episode is brought to you by Paramount Plus. Get in, loser! Mean Girls is now streaming on Paramount Plus. Join Katie Heron as she meets the plastics and Tina Fey's new twist on the modern classic. Get ready for more of the rumors, backstabbing, and jokes you loved from the original movie with some fetch surprises. Rated PG 13. Wear pink and head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Find a fresh take on a fall getaway to Wilmington, North Carolina, and beaches. Enjoy hiking trails in a state park, fresh seafood with a sight of live music, and fall festivals galore. Then live it up along the Riverwalk in Wilmington's historic downtown. With three island beaches, Carolina, Curie, and Wrightsville, and a vibrant downtown, you get the best of the Carolina coast all in one place. Plan your fall getaway at WilmingtonandBeachesVacation.com. Welcome back to the Locked In with Ian Bick podcast. You can listen to this podcast on YouTube, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts from. I know you guys love, love, love the cop-turned-prison stories. So today, I have a former sheriff who ends up losing his entire career and finds himself in jail. On today's episode, I interview Kyle Overmeyer to listen to his insane story, addiction, prison, spending time as a sheriff, you name it, we're getting into it today. Thank you guys for tuning into the show. Thank you guys for making us a top 200 podcast for society and culture in the world. It means the world and we would not be here without you guys today. Sit back, relax, and enjoy my interview with Kyle Overmeyer. Kyle, welcome to the show, man. You have an insane story. You're like our second former law enforcement we've had on the last month. The crowd goes wild for the law enforcement turned criminal episodes. <laughs> uh, so this one's going to be an absolute banger. Super excited to have you on. You came from what, Ohio today? Yeah, straight from Ohio <laughs> today and then back. Yeah, you got a, a flight out. We just had some great tacos from Chipotle, which weren't too bad for Chipotle tacos. Love. I, I, I'm a Chipotle fan. I'm here to tell you, okay? Yeah, I'll tell you what's better than Chipotle though salsa fresca it's not in every area but i if i could pick between chipotle and salsa fresca i'm picking salsa fresca all day okay i don't know i think that we have those in ohio yet so mm-hmm. that that's something i'll have to check out yeah and you went on a nice car ride with uh the elder bick my dad we had driving our guests today uh, i hope is there going to be a charge because he educated <laughs> me on the way here he a lot of wisdom from the elder bick no i paid his salary for today <laughs> so it's good we got him a part of the locked in team but uh, awesome, man. Let's get into it. Let's start at the beginning. Where are you from? Where did you grow up? What's early life like for Kyle? Early life was all-American, young boy growing up with two parents married, um, great education. My father actually was, um, he's now a retired captain of the Sandusky County Sheriff's Office, where you'll find out where I was connected with. My mother worked uh, in uh, an office at a, a very respectful construction company in the area. And um, I went most of my life through a, um, a private Catholic school. I had a great education, playing sports, played football, wrestled, um, and I was a boxer too. Oh. So, yeah. Did yeah. you have siblings at all? Uh, yeah, I have a sister. I okay. have one sister, one older sister. And uh, what's the age difference? Uh, four years. Four years. Four years, yes. Okay. So did you guys grow up like middle class, upper class? Or? Pretty much middle class. You know, my dad always had like five jobs. He was, I mean, he hustled hard, you know. Um, 
he gave us the understanding that the only way you're going to get anything in life is you got to work for it. And my mother was the same way. I mean, they provided, gave us a, you know, a roof over our, our, our heads, you know, three square meals. And, you know, they, they sent us through a, you know, Catholic school, which costs money. So we would have a good education and it would uh, keep me off the streets too. What was the neighborhood like? Actually, I lived out in the country and then I was drawn into, you know, uh, towards Fremont where I'm from. We lived out in the country. Um, we even had, uh, you know, farm animals, believe it or not. We, I had four donkeys. Yeah. <laughs> Daisy, Dandelion, Daffodil, and Dahlia. Um, so goats, chickens, and my dad would, uh, instill giving us responsibilities to take care of the animals and, uh, you know. I don't know. It just, it gave me, gave me another way to look at work and a good work ethic. So we lived out there. And then when I could, I would, you know, get into the, you know, the smaller city to, you know, get out and play with, actually have friends. There wasn't really any kids out in the, out in that area at the time because it was so rural. Did you have a lot of friends? Are you popular? Are you kind of nerdy? Yeah, actually I was, I was always, you know, that's what I've always been driven by people and connection and networking um, grew up pretty popular kid in high school, got along with everybody. And, uh, yeah, I had a lot, I mean, I always had a lot of friends. That's awesome. And what about, what did you want to be when you grew up? Well, what's interesting, I graduated in 1992. Yeah. I'm an old guy. Okay. <laughs> I wasn't even born yet. <laughs> yeah. I, okay. Stop Ian or I'm going to leave right now. <laughs> but, um, yeah, so I, I graduated, I went to then to the university of Toledo for two years and I was an art major. I paint and draw, believe it or not. And my dad, you know, he was in law enforcement, and I always admired that. He was very well-respected in the community. They call him Smokey, actually. That's his nickname. And everybody knew my father, respected him as, you know, working at the sheriff's office. And um, after two years, I dropped out of college. I didn't know what I wanted to do or what I wanted to be. I came back to and, and moved in with my parents for a while. I even... Um, did some uh, like personal training at a gym. I worked at a gym, worked a couple factories and just kept, you know, kind of jumping around, not knowing what I wanted to do or be. And then I kept gravitating back towards the whole law enforcement thing because of my father. And he told me, stay the hell away from it. He said, you know what, just go get a job, you know, union job or something and stay away from it. I didn't listen to him. So I put some money together in 1995 and went to the police academy and then graduated within a year. How old were you in 1995? I was only about 19, 20 years old. Oh, so you went to college young then. I, I was 18, 19, then dropped out, then turned around and went, then I went to the police academy. Yeah. And then um, I actually then started my first uh, uh, day about, I was 21 years old and in uh, law enforcement. I started in corrections at the Sandusky County Sheriff's Office. Corrections meaning? I worked like uh, in the jail. You worked in the jail. I there. did. That was my very first job, believe it or not. Yeah. And actually, um, they interviewed me three times. Even though my father was there, they kind of stayed away from me because I had a wild side to me. I didn't, I would go out and party. I wasn't afraid to go in a bar and get in a fight. And my reputation was there. And, and they were pretty hesitant at first about hiring me because they're like, do we want this guy really working here? Because you know what? Next thing you know, he'll be working. He'll be out fighting with somebody and he could be in here. 
But um, they took a chance on me, and they, they and then they hired me. Actually, it was May fifth, nineteen ninety six. I remember single day mile. You know, <laughs> how would you describe the relationship with you and your dad? Were you guys the closest, or are you closer to your mom? How is that dynamic? Always closer to my mother. She was always and still is my ride or die. Um, but my dad, he always didn't know what to think about me. I think that I struggled a lot, always wanting to be the best. I could, and I never felt like I could always live up to his standards, so to speak. And you hear that about a lot of father and sons and, you know, along the way, but I, I did, and I struggled with it. I struggled with it uh, tremendously. Now, high school, are you doing drugs at all in high no, school? Drinking, no, nothing? I was, hey, I drink a little bit here and there, you know, in the normal, no pot, no nothing. Um, no, I was, uh, and I was really always into working out too. Okay. Like uh, what kind of working out? I got to the point where um, I competed in powerlifting. I won the state. In, You're uh, a powerlifter. I won a state championship when I was actually 19 years old. Mm -hmm. And then I met a pro bodybuilder at a Gold's Gym in Toledo, Ohio, who uh, approached me and said, you know what? Did you ever think about doing a, a bodybuilding show? I said, no, I like food too much. I don't want to <laughs> diet. And I then actually... Uh, did a couple bodybuilding shows too. So I was always kind of a meathead, you know? So you were fit going into the police force and, I was, and the training. Yeah, I was fit. All I right. Was. So you get, you make it through the training. They stick you in corrections. What's that like now when you're in corrections for a County, um, police department, mm -hmm. that's a lot different, right? Than a, a regular like city police department. It is, but that's where they usually start you when you start at a sheriff's office. That's kind of the standard, you know, especially in Ohio is you, you, you work your way up. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, I carried a gun. I was certified and everything. And then from there, um, I actually moved my way up. And I, I met my first wife, actually, at that time um, and got married in 1999. And um, She was she, working in the police department? No. She, I met her and she um, was a teacher. She ended up being a, a school teacher. And um, she was big on education, and I didn't always think that I wanted to work at the sheriff's office for the rest of my life. So I went back. I got my two-year degree in criminal justice, and then I even, after we got married, I went back. I got a bachelor's degree in business administration because I was going to leave. I was actually going to go in the federal system is what I wanted to do because the, because the ball really started rolling. And I didn't look at law enforcement as a job. I looked at it as a career and a future. So then within a, about three years, they um, promoted me. I went out on the road patrol division. That's where my next step was in between that and get my, my education, married, had my first, actually my daughter, Michaela. She was my, my first back in 2000. She was a 2000 baby. And so. you're in your early 20s at this point. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. And from there and then went on the road patrol, I got heavily into the drug interdiction thing. Crack cocaine epidemic, I know it was before you because you weren't born yet, Ian, probably. <laughs> but it, that was where it was. And in our area, it got hit pretty hard, you know. Um, so many people, you know, that you would have never thought of went from cocaine to crack cocaine. And it, it took a lot of people's lives. It took people's homes, jobs, families, and tore them apart. And um, I really got zoned in and focused on taking drug dealers off the streets guns and large amounts of money. So I was always out arresting people and uh, I started to make a name for myself and the sheriff noticed that too. 
And at that time, being married, having my first child, and then a second one on the way, my son Dylan was coming in 2003. I was interviewing with the federal system, and um, that is when the the sheriff um, took notice. And one day, I got a phone call from him, and I said, Kyle, I'd like to meet with you. And you usually don't talk to the sheriff because he's the boss, he's the head of the county, and he, you know he's, he doesn't have time. And he says, I want to meet you for lunch. I thought, oh, am I in trouble? And he says, no. So I, I went and met with him, and he says, I hear that you're going to probably leave me. And I said, yeah. I said, I want to try to do something better for my family and uh, make some more money and provide. And he says, you know, you're really into this drug interdiction, and you're doing a great job. How about if I make you a detective and you can focus on narcotics? And I said, well, he says, I'm going to tell you what, I'll make you a detective sergeant. And then he got my attention. So you became a detective sergeant? At the age of about 26, 27, that was young. Would, yeah, you would never have gotten that job no. in one of these other cities. No. And he just, he, he believed in me. How he, much are you paid for that? Like, what's the salary? You know, back then, I think I only made between fifty, sixty thousand dollars $60,000. Is that good for that time period, though? It, 50, it, was, it was okay. It was okay. But for what you dealt with and saw and what you would face on a daily basis, it's not. I think I think law enforcement is so underpaid, you know, in this day and age. Look what's going on in the news and you see it every day. And uh, but at that time it was respectable and you know what? I could help provide for my family. Um so yeah, so I, I stayed. I ended up staying and you know I was a young detective and then it got so much within that year I started uh, um, doing so much and being so productive in our community, you know, partnering up with the police departments, some of the federal systems, state agencies, that I, um, I did a great job um, along with the others where we were doing some big 20 to 30 person roundups, um, boarding up houses. I mean, just taking money and drugs and guns off the streets that I'll never forget after a year, he comes to me, he goes, congratulations, you're going to be a captain now. <laughs> Why did they promote you so quick? Don't you think this is kind of setting you up for failure, though, with just like how? Uh, no, I, and I'm not going to toot my own. I, I was good at what I did. But that's also not normal in a regular city, though, right? <sighs> like, it takes years to get it to that It usually does. Yeah. It usually does. And I was very young. And, uh, but I wasn't afraid to go out there and work in, yeah. I, you know, I, I was aggressive. I was, uh, I was a pit bull. I mean, that's what I did. And I wasn't scared to go, go nose to nose with these guys in the streets, you know? And, that's great. And they respected me. What, it, was, what was like your principles as a detective, as a cop? What were your morals, things that you would not break as an officer? Well, I, I gave a lot of people second chances, which we know about second chances now, don't we? Yeah. And, and they never forgot that. And I would always say my rule would always be first one's on me, next one's on you. And I always, I held that. And the guys on the streets, they respected me. They knew when I warned them or told them, I'm like, look, if you don't change, I'm coming back. I'm going to kick your door in. And I did. And I would come back. I would come back. You know who you remind me of right now? Well, because you said pit bull. So I can see that image of you being a pit bull, but 
Dog the Bounty Hunter. Like that's <laughs> I love what I'm dog getting. The, I yeah. love Dog the I'm Bounty Hunter. I'm getting that vibe. I, like this one's on me, and then you're coming in, you're breaking the door down. Yeah, <laughs> like you're probably. I couldn't imagine being on like a domestic case with you as the responding officer. You probably are, are getting wild that whoever the abuser is. You know, I you know, I was pretty tactful, and my dad always told me one thing. He goes, "See this gun on your hip." You'll do more damage with a pen than you will with the gun. And it's true. You could. By writing a citation or, you know, somebody a ticket or uh, charges because, I don't know, I, I, I learned a lot from my father. And he always taught me, treat others the way you want to be treated and you'll go far. And it's true. And you always, and another thing is, you get more bees with honey than you do vinegar. And he was still working in the force when you were working in the force you, as a detective? He was. So when you became captain, wasn't he still a captain too? Yeah. Was that weird? A kind of. And a, and a lot of people were angry about it, but a lot of people couldn't dispute it because my numbers showed. I mean, I was, I was on fire. I was out there kicking butt and taking names and I was doing it all the time and I wasn't scared to do it. I was a worker. I was working a lot of overtime and kept going and going and going. And then it got to the point where we bumped into something even bigger. Um, what happened was there was a situation where I was involved with a deal that turned in from, you know, several um, pills of ecstasy into a kilo of cocaine. Well, that kilo of cocaine turned into something even bigger. So that individual then who got caught decided to work with us. And I, it was so big that I had to call the DEA in, is what happened. So not knowing that this would happen, then I ended up getting assigned with DEA and I worked undercover, actually. You then became undercover? I huh? did. I worked undercover for a few years, buying up to 17 kilos of cocaine at a time. What's it like to work undercover for the DEA? It was it was it was pretty awesome. It was probably by far my favorite probably piece of the puzzle of my law enforcement career. I love purchasing large amounts of cocaine. It was a rush. It was a rush that you're actually getting one over on these guys. I mean, that's, you know, over half a million dollars worth of cocaine that you're purchasing. I mean, that's that's big stuff. That's people that you would see on like TV and movie stuff. And then, yes, it goes on. It goes on all the time. And uh, I was doing it. And uh, it ended up, I mean, we, we seized millions of dollars, cocaine off the streets. And that then turned into a, a major, major, major roundup and um, federal drug sweep that I was involved with. Was there any near um, caught ex instances where you're almost ca caught while working undercover? Yeah, there was like, uh, of course, they always pat you down, which we were too slick for that. Um, also, there was a situation where one of them wanted me to get to, to test it and use, and uh, the informant stepped in for me, and which, you know, I got to give him kudos for doing that, and because then I didn't have to use uh, any kind of cocaine or any drugs. Yeah. What's like the craziest story as a uh, detective or, or working undercover, like all time craziest law enforcement story? Um, I'll tell you one. It, this is the one it made the newspaper. It was so crazy. I'm sitting there eating lunch with an attorney, the police chief, and another detective. 
and a drug dealer gets my number by mistake while I'm eating lunch with my gun and badge on, and I lure him over to, um, you probably never heard of a Ponderosa restaurant. It was a steak and buffet place. And I get, I outslick him and he thinks I'm somebody else. He comes all the way to um, Ponderosa and I tell him, okay, I'll meet you out in the, out in the parking lot. And uh, I got the money for the dope and I go out, take him down a gunpoint and take the dope from him and st- take his car from him too. I seize his Cadillac, his dope, his money, and he got the wrong phone number. So that's a pretty crazy story. That is pretty funny. It is. What does he say to you? Oh, shit. <laughs> you know, and, and, and before that, I, I even did, um, and, and I left this out, I did a stint where I did, um, I worked undercover um, in a large-scale theft ring, too. Um, what happened, same thing, that we ended up turning the guy into an informant. He introduced me to the organization that would go out and hire you know, guys that just had terrible drug habits to go out and steal Kubotas, tractors, log splitters and everything. And I'd go out and steal with them and deliver. And finally, at the end, then uh, um, they did a a big bust and I was arrested at the end and made it look good and taken into custody and taken to jail and arrested with everybody else. Just to hold your uh, undercover identity, right? Yeah. Well, yeah. And 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 what happened was uh, I went by the name of Bert. That was your undercover. Yeah, name? that was Bert. Yeah, it was Bert in that one. <laughs> Bert. Yeah. Okay. And 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 the, and the drug one, I was Scotty Pitts. After that one, Scotty Pitts. Yeah, I liked Scotty Pitts. Were you ever worried about danger you might be putting your family in, especially with two young kids? Yeah, and there was a time actually. Um, my cruiser, my one cruiser, uh, was parked. Uh, somebody did a drive by and shot shot the window out of it. At your house? Yes, yes. So they I, figured out who you were. Yeah, I was out of town at the time. This was before my undercover days. This is when I was a road warrior, you know? And somebody did drive by and shot uh, shot my window out. And what do you do in that? There isn't much you can do. You, of course, you know, you got a young family and they're scared, but that's what you do for a living. And unfortunately, those are the risks you had to take at that time. How do you think other officers would describe you during that time period? If we had one of your fellow officers here, what would they say? I w- honestly, I'm they probably a hard charger. I mean, I was a hard charger and, you know, I was probably considered a rock star at the time because I was just out there. On, I was on fire, Ian. I was. I, I was scared of no one. I went out and I wanted to get those drugs off the streets. Yeah. What was the motivation for that? Why, why were you so passionate? Because you were never really into law enforcement growing up. So no. where does that change and why? Well, I think there's it's like everything else with, with, we'll find out about addiction. It became an addiction to get the bad guys off the streets, drugs, money. And those guys were making more money than me. So I was mad at them. You know, I'm out there hustling and that, Hey, and you know, they're, they're making a thousand dollars in five minutes selling, you know, you know, an ounce of crack. And uh, I think I was motivated by that. And I wanted to change the community. And you know what? I wanted to prove something to my dad too. You know, like, Hey, Look at me. You didn't ever think I could do this, but I got it. I'm, I'm, I'm rocking and rolling. You know what I mean? Did he ever give you like a pat on the back, a good job? No, never. And do you think that kept you wanting to continue to be ambitious Absolutely. and go to the next level? Absolutely. It always, anything negative and, in, and as time went on, and you'll find out this along the way with me as we do this interview, negativity never put me down. It turned me up. And I don't know why, but. It, it does. I kind of like the hater thing 
Because if you're hating me, guess what? I'm renting space in your head, and I like that. No, haters are important. It just seems to be dialed in and controlled. Correct. But I, how you handle that and energy. It, and it gives you free publicity, too. Yeah, and you cannot beat that. I always say people hating negative things, best publicity. Absolutely. I agree with you. So do you think if your dad was supportive of you at that time period and was like, hey, good job, you're at a great place, things wouldn't have turned out the way that we're about to find out would turn out? Uh, I don't think so. I really don't. And uh, I think everything happens for a reason. And I think you, you're you going to probably learn that too, as, as successful as you're being right now, especially at a young age, Ian. And um, no, because I don't know. It was just meant to be like that. And maybe that negativity, if I didn't have that negativity or wanting to always prove something, I wouldn't be where I am today, you know? Yeah. Now, when you were interviewing for the federal job, what kind of job was it? Uh, I, Secret Service. Oh, you wanted and, to be the Secret Service? Yeah, yeah. And I knew the Secret Service guys quite a bit. And then I had a guy in the FBI. They were pursuing me. I mean, mm. every aspect because they knew I was very aggressive and they wanted a young guy that was and then done. No, were you like a dick at all? Or no, were you, no. You were nice. So you were aggressive, I, but nice? I was cool as a fan, man. Come okay. on. No, I'm not. I'm not. Because there are aggressive cops that are assholes. They are. And, and, you know, and I even tell my wife today, you know, some days I can be a dick, but I'll never be a bitch, you know? Yeah. So, I mean, yeah, I, I can be, but in a, in, there's a time and a place to be like that. But for the most part, you got to, you know what? You got to be a master of people. And uh, I think you do a good job of that, you know, Ian. Because, you. you know, you're, you've got a great, successful podcast. And it's all about talking to people. And and I think I have, a, I and I still do, I have passion for people. And that's important. Well, I think it's important to figure out where the person comes from. Because then you relate to them more to know that they're not, the like, if I looked at you as just a cop, I might feel some type of way. But if I know you're just a human being and a person, who is the person behind the badge? Correct. I'm going to look at you differently. And I think that's a problem with police officers in general nowadays that aren't looking at the person behind that whatever that instance is well it's called identity and you know i think everybody identifies with a badge or even with a prison uniform so to speak but we can't judge a book by its cover and that's where society has gone wrong and that's how our world's gone wrong and people need to be more open-minded and just uh, learn about the person instead of having assumptions yeah absolutely so you're ambitious. Everything's going great. You're on top of the world. You're climbing. What happens? Why, why isn't this a success story? Well, we're, we're going to find out. Yeah. So then the sheriff really believed in me and saw a future in me. And he says, you know, Kyle, um, when I retire someday, I think you would be a great replacement for me. And at the time, Sheriff Gangwer, he was in his 60s and, you know, I got to be very close. He was a great mentor for me. He believed in me. He was always like one of my biggest cheerleaders because I made him look good because I was doing so much in the community for him. And um, so he started to get me involved with local politics. I became there because if you're going to run for a political position, you either got to be deemed as a Democrat or Republican. Our county is Republican County, which then I got involved with the Republican Central Committee. So I got involved with that, started doing a lot of activities with that. And him and I had started to have a lot of talks. He even ended up getting me on um, 
the Organized Crime um, Commission Board down in uh, Columbus, Ohio, to start meeting more and more folks. So um, we had a lot of talks, and one day he's like, you know what, I'll never forget. He says, uh, Kyle, I, I, I really believe you will be the next sheriff. And he said, if anything ever happens, go for it. A week later, he died. What? He dies just randomly a week later? He dies. And so what do I do? I'm 34 years old. 34. And, of course, the word was out with the Republican Central Committee that his wishes were someday for me to be the sheriff. But I, then I had um, an opponent. I had an opponent who was actually a 30-year veteran that worked with me, who I was close to, and he decided to run against me. As a Republican, too, or Correct. a Correct, and it came up to the Republican Central Committee to have uh, emergency voting. And uh, in uh, August of 2008, I became the new sheriff of Sandusky County at 34 years old. So you didn't even have to run for election. They just they, well, they did, and then I you. got put on the ballot, so there was a chance that somebody could run against me. Okay, and nobody then did because it was it was big news because I was the youngest sheriff in county history, and I still am, and I was the youngest sheriff in the whole state of Ohio out of all eighty eight counties. What about in the country? How does that compare? Have you looked into that? No, no, I haven't. I'm probably in the top ten. I mean, yeah, I can't imagine you're that. Thirty four is pretty young. So I became the sheriff of Sandusky County. I mean, it was a big to-do, um, a swearing in like you wouldn't believe. I mean, I was just looking back the other day because I still have all the newspaper clip clippings. And I, you know, I'm using them right now because I'm writing a book. And I look back and I'm like, oh, my God, that place was wall to wall with me. Everybody came to see me. Yeah. I mean. It's, you know, it's big headlining It news. was huge. I mean, you know, the swearing of the Bible when I got sworn in and, and how little my kids were. I'm like, I can't believe the people that came. It was big news. It really was. How did your wife feel about it? She was good. She was supportive, you know. And um, But I don't think she understood the responsibilities that I'll talk about as, as they went on. And. You know, so, yeah, I, I became sheriff in 2008. You were probably really young then. Yeah, I would have been, I was not 95. Were, so were you five years old? No, I was born in 1995. Oh, oh, okay. Come on, I wasn't yet. <laughs> so the 13. Okay, about. so then, that you know, the housing market crashed. Yeah. Everything was horrible. So I came in in a bad time, actually. So to not lay people off and lose their jobs, I had to get creative. I looked at not law enforcement as law enforcement. I turned it into a business is what I did. It is a business. Government is a business. So what I did is I looked at every avenue I could do to cut corners and save money to save jobs and protect my community. I even went as far as I had two acres in the back of my jail and it was fenced in. I turned it into a garden. A garden. Oh, wait till you hear this. This is, you're going to like this, Ian. Mm -hmm. I turned it into a two-acre garden. I went around and proposed to the community. People donated. They donated. Then I used, what I did is I had inmates raise the, and tend the garden, which turned into rehabilitation. I saved thousands of dollars in our, in our, um, our, our cafeteria and where we would make our food for the inmates. And it just, it was, it was a win-win. Everybody loved it. Everybody loved it so, so much. Then in the next year, I turned around and said, look, I want to raise my own chickens here. And this is what happened. I ended up getting a chicken coop donated, 
raised 80 broilers, turned around, turned it around, butchered them. I fed my, my, my inmates, say, probably thirty, forty thousand dollars $40,000 a year on food. How many inmates are under your watch? There, oh, 100. 100? Yeah. And these are people that are awaiting trial? This isn't where you're serving sentences? No, they are serving sentences. At they a can, county jail? They can, they can serve in a county jail up to 365 days. Now, something I want to bring up is that a county jail is different than like your, and being a sheriff is different than like your local police department that has a police chief. Like you have a lot more jurisdiction or say in oh, the matter. I'm, that is the, the, the lead law enforcement officer in the, in, in that county. Yeah. Cause like I'm going to Arkansas in a couple of weeks mm -hmm. and we're meeting with a, uh, a sheriff who's letting us go into his jail. No background checks, nothing. We're going in, mm -hmm. we're interviewing inmates. We're interviewing him. He has to say he's the law of the land for that building in that area. Well, I, I not only had to run a jail, I had a communication center that, you know, dispatched local agencies. I had a detective bureau, a civil office. I had a lot of responsibilities, Ian. Do you think that's too much power for one person, though, in this day and age? Like looking at it now and where the world is in society. Well, I, I think it can be, but you got to delegate well. If you can, if you're able to like, if, if you're not obsessed with control and you can delegate and you look at it as a team and not a dictatorship, I think you're going to be fine. But I think you know how it is. Everybody has an ego. You know, some have bigger egos than others. And, you know, eventually mine, mine got the best of me. Did you have a boss? Do you report to anyone or you're your own boss? You make your schedule, you make the law, the rules. I did. My boss is, you know who my boss was? All the vote voters. That's what I always said. But in between elections, technically, it's not like they could come in and fire you tomorrow. They'll no. just fire you on the next election. Correct. Other than that, no, I was my own boss. So it's different than a police chief and a mayor where the mayor could Correct. fire the police You're chief right. tomorrow. Yeah. So I was I was the main guy. And in the, in the uh, law of uh, Ohio, you know who the only person is that can uh, arrest the sheriff? Yeah. The county coroner. The county coroner? Check that out. How can the county there's, coroner make it There's a, a fun fact for you, Ian. You can use that one. That is wild. That's true in the state of Ohio. Has yeah. that ever happened before? It didn't even happen to me. So, <laughs> But you'll find all of all. So um, does the sheriff go out on the road at all, or are you, is this a desk job now? It is a desk job, but I was the type of guy, I'd go out and ride with my guys. I'd go to the drug raids. You're still uh, kicking down. I was, I couldn't let go. I thought that if, you know what, those guys were out there doing it, they get their hands dirty. Don't forget where I came from. How did the younger officers, or I mean, the older officers treat having a boss that's way younger than them and less experienced? It was a little difficult at first, but as time went on, they figured out how fair I was with them because I made some positive changes and uh, it was a good place to work. And I made it that way because I knew, because I worked in corrections, road patrol, detective bureau. I did every job. So I knew where I was coming from. Including future inmate. There, exactly. <laughs> well, so, you really did get the whole roundabout of the criminal justice system. I did. I did. Yeah. That's You're probably one of the few in, in the U.S. that could say they've experienced all every, sides of it, I know, every aspect I of it. I, I guess that's what makes the story unique in a, in a way too. It is. It is. So where does it go south then? You're, you're sheriff now. You're running it. You got a great system. Mm -hmm, you're doing mm -hmm. all these great things. Well, um, what happened too? I uh, I was involved with um, one one Sunday uh, afternoon. I got back from vacation and uh, we had a um, an incident with a, a guy with a, a gun, a shotgun.
And um, we were called out there because he was going to kill his family. He was out of control. And I'll never forget, I get off the phone, and my daughter was even with me that day. And she said, this doesn't sound good, Dad. And I said, I got this. Don't worry. <laughs> so we go out, and um, we, you know, we couldn't get him out. And because um, I was actually on the SWAT team, too. I left that out. <laughs> I, I, I went through the FBI. Uh, I graduated from the FBI um, SWAT Academy, too. Wow. And hostage negotiation from the SWAT Academy. So I, I have a lot of training as well as uh, education. But um, so if my SWAT team is going to go in, guess who else is going in with them? You're yeah. going in. I on. did. Mm -hmm. Because if, if they were going to take a bullet, I was, too. So couldn't get him out. We go in, we throw a flashbang, and guess what he does when he 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 po points the gun at us. We gotta kill him. We killed him. Didn't did not want to do that, of course. That was the last thing. Well, the family wanted him out, and guess what? Then the family turned against us. And uh, I didn't I got I got help for the my guys, you know, with some counselors, and I didn't take care of myself. Well, as time goes on, then, um, you know, we were justified in the shooting criminally, but then the um, family turned around, sued me and the other guys with me for $20 million. And this is your first ever time dealing with a death directly related on the job? Um, well, I saw a lot of suicides. I handled homicide. You know, I've seen everything. Yeah. But this was a this was a tough one. We didn't want to do that, and the, but we were, you know, and being sued, and then they protested several times, and you know there was a lot of negativity, especially in social media and the newspaper. And it was hard on me and my family, and I wasn't taking care. I didn't take care of myself. And then in between there, then um, I broke both of my ankles while I was a kid too. So that was started to be in real agonizing, and I ended up going to a specialist. And the specialist um, then diagnosed me with arthritis. And uh, during that time, a lot of them are quick to give opiates. So I was diagnosed and given 105 Vicodin a month is what I took. 105. Was that over the, like, was that normal to do that? I, for that, uh, that pain? I guess. I mean, I got it from a doctor. So during that time, you know, my mental health was struggling because of the, you know, the death and, you know, the multitude of things of, you know, I've seen over time. And then ugh, something else happened. We got called on another Sunday. I'll never forget. It's always these Sundays. And yeah, and um, I got called away. And uh, where I live, we, we handle, there's a mouth of the river and three kids fell through. And we went out to save them. And guess what? They drowned in front of us. Wow. Again, I didn't take care of Kyle. Kyle took care of everybody else. So um, during that time, the lawsuit, just the struggles and the 105 Vicodin, then you know what? They didn't last as long as they used to. I started uh, masking the pain from the, the mental pain by popping pills. Well, you know, those 105 didn't last long for a while. They would last me maybe a week and a half. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. 
Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. This episode is brought to you by Paramount Plus. An unlikely friendship begins in the Paramount Plus original movie, Little Wing, starring Brooklyn Prince with Kelly Riley and Brian Cox. Reeling from her parents' divorce, Caitlin steals a valuable bird to save her home, but instead forms a bond with the owner, leading to a new outlook on life. Little Wing. Now streaming exclusively on Paramount Plus. Head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Rated PG 13. Now, for two weeks, I was just eating them, eating them every day. And I noticed they started to run out, and I would get pretty sick, and I needed more. So I started to manipulate doctors. I went between doctors, and I would you know, tell them this happened or that. Happened. I even, I honestly, I even uh, manipulated my own jail doctor. Really? Yeah, and I graduated Percocets. Percocets became my, I always say, and I wrote a letter saying goodbye to him. Uh, Miss Percocet, it was like my girlfriend. I mean, I loved Percocets. They were like Tic Tacs to me. I mean, popping, popping. That's what got me through the days. And then there was even um, the points where um, those in, uh, fulfill my needs so they had these take back boxes where they dispose of all the old pills when people get rid of them at law enforcement agencies and i took it upon myself to go around because we had a big disposal to get rid of them and picked them up and i started stealing them from the take back box too and it got to the point that then sometimes that didn't last so my parents both take opiates for um, arthritis. So I would go in the house and steal them, or I would even go to the, you know, the extent that um, uh, my dad, I knew when he would get his refill of Percocets, and I would volunteer. I'd say, you know what, Dad, I'll, I'll go pick them up. And, you know, when you go to the pharmacy, there's you staple the bag, you know? Yeah. I carried a stapler with me so I could. To re-staple. Yeah, so I, yeah. Is your wife noticing? No, she didn't know. I was a great actor. I walked around with a Kool-Aid smile all the time, Ian. Did this affect your job? No, no. I I, I don't know why, but I just kept going. And, and, you know, Percocets fueled me. They kept me going. They kept me forgetting about the bad times. You know, and and there was along the way, you know, then my my marriage started to, you know, diminish. and And I didn't want to even talk about it. I just, you know go on my business, you know. Those pills took care of all my mental problems. The physical problems were nothing compared to what was going on in my head. And so it got to the point I, you know, even like even I can remember my daughter got her her teeth pulled. I, I stole her prescription. You know, you were so focused with getting drugs off the street, you then became I know, one I know. of those people. You're right. And, and you know what's interesting, during that time, I never thought of myself as an addict. I couldn't because you know how I looked at addicts? They were the ones in the streets that we were putting in jail and incarcerating. There's no way the sheriff of the county could be that addict. The guy that's a husband, a father, the one that's the lead law enforcement officer in, in the county? Hell no, it can't be me. But it did, and it was. And I was in such denial. And it, you know, I lasted, I went from 2008, went through that election, did, I mean, I was killing it. Um, actually, when I did the the whole garden, I was named the, the first ever state taxpayer hero award. I won it, the first one, and now that guy's the attorney general of the state now. Was that 
affecting you mentally too that you were putting on this facade and you're getting all this praise but deep down you're not that person that absolutely. they're making you out to be absolutely and and, and you know what and it makes your 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 ego gets inflated you put on a facade you're an actor that's it what keeps i was propelling yeah. it, it did it you know i i kept evolving into a bigger and bigger fake you know i compare that to my situation because everyone was looking at me as like the whiz kid and the entrepreneur and i kept lies and pushing things going because i didn't want to lose that you know i they had an image of me that's right and it's always about the image and uh so um you know i had to run for re-election every four years first term you know i was in i won nobody ran against me next time no because i I was killing. I was doing a great job. So this is 2012 now, about. Um, yeah, and then here it comes again. I got to run for re-election again in 16. To that, so this is your third, going to be your, your third, third term. term. Okay. Um, so uh, <laughs> some rumbling started to happen with um, I'm running for in the primary against somebody, and I was big on Twitter at the time, and. Um, so then uh, the, my uh, my opponent pushes and comes out because I'm following porn stars and rappers and they're following me back on Twitter and they make a big deal out of that. And of course, my wife isn't happy about that. And, you know, they want to make a mockery of me. And interesting, it backfired because when I would go out and about, you know, and I kind of blew it off. I'm like, hey, I probably accept it or I you know, hit the butt and whatever. I tried to blow it off and people are coming up with shaking my hand saying, I respect you. I said, why? You're real. I said, why do you say that? You're like, I watch porn, you know, and, <laughs> and, and people are seeing that I'm a real person. They're looking beyond that whole image of, you know, being a, what do you call it? A, um, just a guy in a uniform. Well, you know, this is 2016 when Trump is applying those same tactics. Correct. But let me backtrack. Because what happened before 16, here's the turning point with my addiction. February 3rd, 2015, I go to the pharmacy. And um, the pharmacist, Leslie, bless her heart, she's a wonderful soul. She says to me, Kyle, can you step aside? I want to talk to you. So me being the sheriff and just me being in denial and not thinking anybody knows what's going on with me, she says, hey, it's over with. I said, well, what's over with, Leslie? She's like, you going between all these doctors, getting opiates. I'm calling them all. They're done. It's done. I'm like, oh, my God. I was sick. I was sick. I still didn't want to think I was an addict or had any trouble. So that day I went home and I did. I flushed my last Vicodin down the toilet. And that's when I got clean. In that moment? That moment. Really? It, that was the moment that you got clean? That is it. But it wasn't over. I had to figure out how to detox myself. My wife would go to work. She was a school teacher. My kids would go to school. So I could manipulate my schedule. I was my own boss. So I would pretend like I was going to work with my uniform, turn around, come back, and I would pull my vehicle in the garage. And I'd lay around during the day to get myself clean and that's how i got clean but i thought nobody knows about my dirty secrets it's over with and i still struggled mentally day after day i would look up different ways of even still trying to get high in a legal way to get me through that because 
I was dope sick. You know what I mean? I was dope sick. You needed some help. You needed to reach out to someone. I did. Mm-hmm. And, but, I, but you know what? I was too proud. My ego was too big. And I still didn't want to think I was an addict. And then we, we fast forward again to 2016 about the porn stars and that. And I ended up winning the primary 62% of the votes. I, I rock and rolled. I killed it. I thought, okay, here I go again. I'm good. I'm off the pills. This, this whole mental thing will go away. And then during that summer before the general election, I get the phone call from my county prosecutor. He wants to talk to me. He says, hey, Kyle. I said, what's the deal? He says, they're looking into you for opiates and doctor shopping and stealing pills from the take back box. I said, what are you talking about, man? Who's looking into you? The, the, um, they called the state, the BCI. So they, internal affairs kind of, um, the the state agency, uh, through the attorney general's office. And I said, well, they're on some bullshit because, uh, I'm not an addict that I was, I on them. Yeah. For arthritis. And I'm not, I ain't doing no doctor shopping. He goes, well, they're going to check on it. Blah, blah, blah. So I kept full momentum and, you know, I didn't, didn't even tell my wife about it. And uh, they started a full-blown investigation on me. And uh, I'll never forget, August 23rd, 2016, our county fair. It was uh, always the, the grand opening, ribbon cutting. It was big. All Everybody's there. And I'm there as a sheriff because I'm a, I'm a politician. I got to be there. And I was in uniform, great day. I knew the grand jury was going to meet, but I still in denial, thinking nothing's going to happen. You haven't told anyone? No, I retained an attorney though. I got one. And uh, by that night at 630, I had a 43 count indictment looking at 15 years. And what were the charges? Doctor shopping, um, the theft of drugs, and then they threw a... um, theft an office of a, a fund line that they said I shouldn't have spent out of this and should have spent out of another. And did someone rat you out essentially? Yeah. Yeah. And it, and it is. And, 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 and that's what happened. And so, um, I went in on a $150,000 bond and I bonded out. Did you get to turn yourself in or did they do the whole? I, no, I turned myself in. To which jail did you turn yourself I in? I went to my own jail. You went to, wait, what? You went to your own jail. Oh, I did. That and, you're the oh, sheriff. Uh-huh. And your own deputies booked you. you. They fingerprinted me and everything there. How weird is that? It was, and it made them very uncomfortable. And are, you're still the acting sheriff. you damn right it was. So what about your gun? I had to give it all up. But you're still the sheriff. Yes. This is wild. It is wild. So you're the sheriff that's under arrest. Did they handcuff you at that time? Or oh, no? yeah. I was handcuffed. They everything. handcuffed I you? Was right? in, I was in shackles and everything. At yeah. that day, you turned yourself everything. in? You, you, right, because here's what happened. That's why. They wild. did that, and then they transported me to a jail adjacent county, which they, I knew everybody over there, too. But they couldn't have you at your own jail. No, but they you. booked me there. That's where it all began. Wow. And you're still the sheriff. I'm still the sheriff. So guess what? 150000 I bond out. And guess what I do? What you- I continue to run for sheriff. So you're still running for sheriff? I but am. What does your wife say to you? Well, I'm still t- saying it's all bullshit and, and everybody's out to get me because they want my job. So I kept going. I was in numerous parades, you know, shaking hands out there. I can remember people. Even, I mean, they were 
coming off the porches to me, hugging me, saying, I love you. I'm voting for you. I mean, we were running like um, phone poles. My numbers were going through the roof. Could you still have the gun? Though, no, nothing, nothing. So how could you actively do your job without a weapon or anything? You can still be the sheriff. There are people, there are sheriffs that- so you're still going to your jail and bossing no, off- No, I uh, wasn't. You were banned from that? I or? was banned. Who I could not that? come on the property. Yeah. The prosecutor, they ordered me and that. They took away my vehicle and everything. So how were you running the department then? I wasn't, but I was, st but I was still the sheriff. <laughs> and I was still running. I was doing debates <laughs> too, and, and I was- I was great. I'm good at speaking. I was killing in debates. So what would happen if you won, though? Well, that's what they were worried about. Okay. So, and, and, and we'll get to that because what happened then, they followed me, and uh, my son's birthday was coming up. He was going to be 13, and he won a crossbow. I went out and bought him a crossbow. Which is illegal. <laughs> so I get a phone call from my attorney. He's like, Kyle? What'd you do now? I said, what do you mean? He's like, did you buy a crossbow for your son? I said, yeah, I did. I go, I don't have it anymore. He goes, they're going to try to violate your bond. I said, okay. So they served me the papers and uh, November 3rd, 2016, I'll never forget. Um, I go to take my son to school. I'll never forget. He's like, dad, why well, see you? after school i'm like yeah i got this dylan you know i got this come on you know because i was still had that big ego i was still in denial and i didn't want anybody to know about my addiction and what i was struggling with so i went to court that day and they violated it Two hundred fifty thousand cash no 10 percent, nothing they wanted cash if you were to uh, get bonded out and i couldn't I couldn't put it together. I mean, I had some guys that could probably put it together for me, but I, I gave up. I surrendered. They took me to Marion County Jail, and that's where I started to, like, come to terms and letting people know I was an addict and I needed help. It took that to break me. So I started talking to my parents, not really much with my wife. We were struggling a little bit, and, of course, my kids didn't and know about it and I went to my first AA meeting while I was there, and there was like three people in it, and I was one of the three. And I started to write letters and talk about my addiction and say I needed treatment and what was really going on with me. So we put together a plea deal. I pled to 12 counts, and uh, I wanted to get treatment because I still needed it. Even though I wasn't using, I was still mentally struggling because I still wanted to use, and I was still dealing with trauma. So I went back on December 13th, and the judge says to me, she's like, Kyle, um, what do you have to say for yourself? And I said, well, I'm an addict. I need help. I mean, I was broken, broken, crying, you know. I was at my rock bottom, and uh, she said, you know what? You know what? I don't think you love your kids. She told me that. I mean, I was told I was a narcissist, basically the – lowest speck of dirt on the ground and the and on the earth she said i'm going to give you the best treatment i'll give you the best treatment in the state of ohio you're going to serve four years in prison this is state prison yes and i thought oh my god how am i going to do this my kids how am i going to do four years so immediately i was taken away i could, didn't even get my my 
affairs in order. But you were already um, in jail, though, weren't you? Yeah, but I didn't even, I couldn't even get my financial affairs. So or you nothing. wanted to get released to get Yeah, them. and they wouldn't. They sent me. What's your conversation with your dad, who's a cop, who's seeing his son rise to the top of the ranks and then- I know, I know. But, but believe it or not, him and my mom were there. They were supportive. They were there. And after I got sentenced, I get back and they take me to a, a, a um, Erie County Jail. And uh, I call the next day and talk to my wife and kids. And my wife's like, yeah, four years. Also, you got a girlfriend, huh? You had a girlfriend? I said, what are you talking about? She says, well, your, your phone calls have just been released in the media. You're talking to your girlfriend on the jail phone. When they crushed me, they buried me. They got you from all angles. They got me. And they talked about me having a double life. And you did. And I did. Why? Why did you do that? I was unhappy. And you know what? I didn't do the right thing. I, I cheated on my wife. You know, infidelity runs rampant, you know, in life. And it was part of my addiction. I ran from every aspect of my life again. You had so much going I for did. you. Like literally everything. What anyone could have dreamed of you had. I did. I had everything. And, or did I think I did? That's true. Because now you have a new life now, which is probably what you wanted and you realized at the past. What's it like to go from having all the power as a, as a sheriff to having no power as an inmate? What's that dynamic like? It was interesting because then uh, I'm no longer Kyle Overmeyer. I'm 692183. I'm a prison number. I'm just a number. But it, uh, what's interesting, they took me into um, Grafton where the intake. I served my first 30 days. I was in solitary confinement. For your safety? For my safety to find placement for me. And I'll never forget because it was during Christmas. I didn't get to talk to anybody. Then finding out right away, find out my wife finds out that I'm cheating on her. My kids are upset. They found out through the media. That's how they found out. And I spent 30 days in there without talking to anybody. And the only time I knew, and I don't know if you've ever served time in solitary confinement. Yeah, I did six months. All right. You only know what time it is because you hear the wheels turn on that floor. Yeah, the food cart or anything, the book cart. Yeah. Exactly. And that was either going to make me or break me. And I don't know about you, Ian. You did six months. I did 30 days, six months, a long time. They did it off the jump. I think... The isolation created the elevation in my mind. What the hell am I going to do with myself? Am I going to become a true criminal, a lifelong? Because I'm educated. I know the tricks of the trade. I could probably come out and be one of the best dope boys ever. I could have been, you know, working for some big organizations. But that's where I had to figure it out. So I got out there, and then they took me to protective custody, and I hated it. Yeah, what's protective custody like as a cop in prison? It's just controlled movement with other people like gang members, other cops, lawyers and that. That Are those people giving you a hard time though? No, no, not at all. They, 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 as soon as I got off the bus, they were ready for me. They had drugs for me. Really? Yeah, and I turned it down. I said no. So you're not treated in a bad way as a cop in prison? And not at first. Not well, not in protective custody. So I signed out. I went to general pop. Why would you do that? Because if I was going to do four years, I wanted to do it the right way. Okay. And I wanted to move. That's risky. I know. Did I get? Did I have some? Yeah, I got a fight and I beat somebody up. Yeah, I handled First it. First day out? Oh, uh, one of them. I, somebody wanted to try me and I went and handled it. And 
it was over with. It was. What do you was, mean by tried you? What happened? They come and called me out in the day room, and we went in and handled it. And called you out for what? Like, being a cop, basically. What does he say to you? Blah blah. You know, just running his running his mouth, and uh, he was affiliated with a organization, and I, and he didn't think he, he. I think he was surprised that you went up, stood up for yourself. Yeah, and I can handle it too. But I, I'm a former wrestler and boxer too. You know, and. You know, I was in good shape. I was bigger. I was 50 pounds bigger when I was in prison. Did that earn the respect of other inmates? Oh, absolutely. Even though you're a cop, which yep. is considered bottom <laughs> of the barrel. Yeah, but it was interesting because my roommate was a gang member who shot tattoos. I got two tattoos while I was in there. My first Father's Day in there. I got my kids' names in memory of my kids on, on my arms. And then um, I, would, I, I even went as far as my workout partner was uh, – um, was a gang member who was a Muslim and I wanted to understand his religion. So I read the Quran and I did Ramadan and fasted for 30 days with him. Really? I did. And that probably went a long way on a respect wise. It did. It did. And I, I spent my time educating myself on cultures, people and figuring out who the hell Kyle Overmeyer really was. Which I'm sure you did the same, Ian, or you wouldn't be, you and I wouldn't be having this conversation. I mean, it wasn't towards the end, I would say. I think the first bit of time was just trying to find myself. I mean, in the sense where, like, you know, you're keeping busy, distracting yourself, fucking around, doing whatever. Oh, yeah, yeah. And, and I'm not going to, I'm not going to lie to you, but there was a time where I was feeling bad for myself. There was. And I had to have a wake up call by another inmate to take me aside and tell me a story. And it spun me all the way around to where I wouldn't be sitting here probably, nice. you know. And uh, no, I, I mean, I even went as far as Black History Month in there. They had an essay contest. This is a true story, too. Listen to this. And uh, they were giving away um, a free Lee's chicken dinner in there. I wrote the essay, and uh, I get a knock on my door, and the woman says, I'm looking for Overmeyer, 692183. I said, that's me. She's like, can be. I says, what do you mean? She's like, this is the essay winner for Black History Month. You're white. And I said, and I said, here's my ID. And she's like, I'm sorry. I apologize to you. I shouldn't. And I won the Black History Month. I studied and worked on culture and understood things as much as possible while I was in there, Ian. Well, and being a sheriff that goes to prison, you were running your own prison, now you're in prison. Did it make you think about the inmates that you were incarcerating before? Oh, my, absolutely. Like how they're treated, the system, everything? Yeah, because now, because of doing all that time, and we'll get to all that, but yeah, because you know what? So many addicts and people with mental health issues, they're being thrown away in a warehouse, and they don't, they need help. They need rehabilitated. They're not getting rehabilitated. It's a warehouse. But you were one of those people throwing away Damn right. those people. I was. How, I was. How does that make you feel? It made me feel terrible. Where it, You know what? That was probably one of the reasons I was put in jail. Because you know what? I, it, I had to find out. And now we have our purpose. And um, I don't know. Yeah, but I served all four years in there. Actually, you want to hear an interesting thing? I ended up, uh, when I was competing in bodybuilding, went to college. I ended up back with one of my friends from college in there, too. That was in prison. Yes. And uh, we talk, actually, every day now. Um, he did 10 years. He got 10 years for manufacturing steroids. He was an RN, great guy. Today, he's out being successful today. 
And isn't it amazing how things go full circle? Yeah. I mean, out of 28 prisons, him and I end up back together, which at the end, we were a very good support system because we, we got out around the same time then too. I still can't believe that you're a cop that goes to prison and gets a prison tattoo. That's got to be a first. It probably is. It what, is. What, what's that like? Um, to get a, I was afraid to get what I never got. No, a we, I mean, I, you know, we sterilized it. We used to hide the thing in the wall. The, what did they use? Um, um, guitar string. Okay. Guitar string. They had a little motor and we would take the batteries and uh, sterilize it. And no, I don't have hep C, so I'm good. What about ink? What are they using? Ink, they got it from the art department. It was the India ink. So we were, we were good. And it didn't hurt. Did it hurt worse than a regular? Because you got regular tattoos. Yeah, I got regular, you know, but no, I don't think so. And what about to clean it up after? Are they using anything on it? Um, Any aftercare, like lotions? We we had, there was some triple antibiotic cream. That was it. Yeah. And it never got infected. No, nothing. What does your family say that you you got a prison tattoo? I think I get like, especially from my son, I got mad respect, you know, because (laughs) I did it for them. That's good. And I didn't see my kids for four years. They didn't come visit. No, they didn't, want, they didn't want to see me in that capacity. And I don't blame them. I talked to them every day. That's fair. I went through bankruptcy while I was in there. I went, I got a, of course, like a divorce. Mm-hmm. And then uh, I got out April 6, 2020. And how did you support yourself financially if you were going through bankruptcy in prison? Did you have like a hustle? Huh? No. Here's what I, well, I did have, um, I still had some money for my retirement. And I, I, I used to pay, help my, my kids out for, with some things. My daughter was going through college. I um, paid for my commissary that way. Paid, I had to pay my attorney. I paid my attorney off um, and my restitution. So, so you, I was about broke when I got out. You still got a retirement. Yeah, I did. Are you paid to this day with it till? No. So you got a, a, an exit. I, 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 got a, I got a jump. I got a dump of money and I paid all my stuff off. Even though you were found guilty, you still yeah. got that money? Yeah. That's interesting that they still paid it out. They did. And how much does a sheriff make of a town? Um, that county, because it goes per population of county, I made about $68,000 a year. That's it? That's it. But there's perks, like probably free dinners and, and you got the car. No, you, the car, but not, I mean, not a whole lot of perks. How are you, you would have been better off working for the feds. Yeah. Mm, I'm better off now. Yeah, true. You are better off now. <laughs> I am. So, no, I I did all my prison time. You got out April 1, 2020, you said? Yep, April 6, 2020. Right after COVID hit. P- parole. Okay. Ankle monitor. Okay. What I are... stayed with a girl for a little bit and got booted out, and then I was homeless. Which girl? Like a girl you just Just somebody that connected with me while I was over. The other girl was gone. That was over with. Yeah. No wife. And then I was homeless. And so I'll never forget driving around with six garbage bags of Goodwill clothes because I didn't have anything. And how am I going to make this work? And I'm calling my pro officer and I end up finding a woman that I knew because um, I was on the board at a, a community college and um, she would uh, send me cards and support me while I was in prison. And uh, I called her and she's like, I don't have any apartments that you can flop in, but I got a spare bedroom with a air mattress. So I flopped on there and had an ankle monitor. And guess what? I had to get a job then. So I had to live in the county. The same county you were sheriff of. And be on parole. What's that like? I needed a job. So my friend owned 
to Lee's famous recipe, chicken places. Remember the least famous recipe I got while I was in prison? Oh, yeah, 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 that. He's like, you know what, Kyle? I got a job you can fry in chicken. So I started frying chicken for nine and fifteen an hour. And uh, I was glad I had a job. I was just proud to have a job. But everybody else made my life hell. They would come in, take pictures of me, put memes on Facebook, and try to break me. But guess what it did to me? Made you stronger. It turned me all the way up, Ian. I loved it in a way. You got like, that energy back oh, from that young officer. I'm like, yeah. you know what? Keep doing it. So I started to really get out there. I was going to a lot of meetings, still working on myself, because I was building my relationship up with my kids. Even though I was homeless and, you know, flopping on somebody's air mattress and putting things together, but I was doing the right thing. So I started to do a lot of meetings, and um, I ended up meeting a, one of the guys that ran a treatment center and nearby, and he said, hey, you know, I know who you are and blah, 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 and why don't you come over? I'd like to talk to you. Maybe we can give you a job. So lo and behold, he gave me my first job in uh, the addiction and mental health treatment uh, industry. I worked midnights overseeing the while they slept as a behavioral tech. So I went from 9.50 an hour to 11.50 an hour, you know? And I was like on cloud nine over it. And uh, eventually then I put enough money together to get an apartment. Guess where I got an apartment where? In the hood, where he's kicked doors in. And how are they treating you? Mad respect. Because you did the time and... They say, I'm what, you're one of us now. And that's what they say. I had guys that were dope boys bringing me meals down to my apartment. Out of respect, you know, chicken and, and collard greens and, you know, just showing me nothing but love. And I appreciate that. And it's because how I treated them on the streets, too. I guess that says a lot about your character Correct. right there. So I started doing that, and then I really got out there on Facebook and just, I was honest and transparent. I took responsibility for everything. People started to recognize it, notice. And um, so I was working up there, and I get a message one day from a woman named Jennifer. And... Uh, she says, hey, I'm starting to follow your story. I'm very impressed with you. And she goes, I get up that way, you know, towards Fremont every once in a while. I'd love to eat lunch with you and your girlfriend. And I sent her laugh out loud. I said, huh, you can meet me, but I ain't got no girlfriend. <laughs> so November 22nd, Jennifer shows up. And uh, um, six weeks later, we get married. Isn't it crazy the women that reach out when you start sharing your story on Facebook because yes. people fall in love with your character and how like you could get to know someone through their videos through TikToks through everything like I've talked to people in the past that develop a crush on me or like me through my videos and content because you're genuine yeah Pete and you know what a lot of women love that people when men are genuine and they show feelings emotions and they're true a lot of people a lot of men don't do that no and i and that's one thing about me i talk about my emotions all yeah. the time yeah you know like i didn't cry before i'll cry like a baby if i'm sad or i'm happy i always say now men cry and boys pout that's the truth yeah well i mean it's 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 intense for a woman whenever a man expresses his feelings oh absolutely like when the the, the girl i've been seeing recently 
She's like, you're very intense. It's not bad, but I'm just not used to a man expressing feelings in that way because it's just not normal. But I think like w- when people like you and I go through a lot of trauma and and um, things of that nature, prison, anything like that, it turns you into like that emotional type figure when, or anyone in general that goes through shit and they come out on the other side, you have all these emotions and you're able to process things differently and you're able to share it and you can um, you know, enunciate it and get it out there and it, develop feelings. It, it, you're right. You're right. And it, it doesn't only help you heal, but it helps others heal. Absolutely. It really does. And so Jen and I got married and, um, during that time, she's like, you know, people are starting to want you to speak in that. She's like, you know, people call you KO Kyle. She's like, why don't you do KO addiction? And I'm like, that's brilliant. So we put KO addiction together. And then I was going to be commuting from Fremont to Columbus. And six days after we get married, we're eating pizza. I'll never forget. And my phone rings from Florida. And I'm like, who's this? And he says, hey, I'm the owner of a a treatment center down in Columbus, Ohio. I've been following you, and I have a business development job. Would you be interested in coming to Columbus and being my guy? I'm like, oh, my gosh. Jennifer lived down in Columbus area. I'm like, guess I don't have to commute. So I moved down there, making a lot better money. Then things continued to pick up for my speaking, sharing more. Everything kept, you know, evolving more and more. And then eventually, of course, I got off of parole after a year. Um, And then another treatment facility coming offering me more money and another opportunity. And today, now I work for Hickory Behavioral Hospital as a regional director in Ohio and have KO addiction. And it's only been a little over three years. I mean, a little over three years ago, I was frying chicken and I was homeless. Yeah, I wasn't sitting at Ian Bick's uh, locked in. Yeah, I mean, I couldn't have predicted this, you know, even seven months ago where the show has gone and what's Oh, you're and on fire. Happened. You're on fire, Ian. You're mm-hmm. over 130,000 plus sub- Subscribers, that's amazing. Yeah, I mean, just in so, I think that the thing is, it, it's the time period, how fast it's grown, and well, how people are connecting to it, and it's the first of its kind. Well, I'm not a preacher, and I'm not here to put on a gospel or anything like that, but the higher power works in mysterious ways. A hundred percent. And what you put into something is what you get out of it. And I don't know, you know, your dad and I was talking about earlier about addiction and stuff. I'm addicted to the hustle now. <laughs> that's good man and i grind every day well you got your passion back and, and a flame and something you know right and and it's and it's a genuine passion and now i can actually be me i know who kyle overmeyer is i still don't know what he's gonna be and you probably don't know either you're 28 years old right yeah i'm 49 i'll be 50 i better figure it out i told my wife the other day i'm on the five-year plan and it's been three years so i got two more so there's a five-year plan well, you're working on a book now you're doing all these exciting things i am uh I wanted to have the book out at the end of this year. It's probably going to be pushing to 2024. I have a co-author out of California, um, sponsorships now. You know, I'm wearing some of my stuff today <laughs> with international jewelry with my KO pendant. Thanks to Mike Mod for making that and sponsoring me and supporting me. Then I got another uh, sponsorship. It's called uh, Lancaster Police Activities League. It's a, it's a boxing gym. That's awesome. And, you know, there's more to come. And people like that believe in me. And you know what? We talked about it. I do like haters. I'm not going to lie. That, helps, <laughs> that keeps us going. But the people mm-hmm. that support you, love you, like my wife, children, my parents, 
that's that's what you need. That's what you need. If you don't have a, a higher power, you know, I believe in God and you know, I'm like I said, I'm not here to preach and God and family. That's what you got. And the two keys in life is loyalty and love. Well, you know, there's a power in your story specifically because you've gone full circle. So you and I think a lot of people can take away from that. A lot of law enforcement that listens to the show, a lot of inmates who may judge law enforcement in a certain way because you're someone that's experienced both sides and you're speaking on both of them. And you're absolutely correct. And, you know, there's a lot of people that struggle in, in silence, especially first responders. And my heart goes out to them and their families because first responders see things that normal people shouldn't see. And then you got to go home and deal with it. And uh, I think people need to ask for help more. I go to therapy twice a month now. I have a, I have a great counselor. He checks me and I love it. <laughs> he, um, he makes me understand it's good to get uncomfortable. I make myself get uncomfortable a lot to grow, to grow as a person. And, and, I, and I attribute a lot of my successes to those kind of things. And I think people in life make things so difficult, but it's truly simple things that make it the best. Absolutely. You know, and uh, now, I, and I've been on both sides, I've even been approached now, would I ever be interested in running for public office again? Maybe you should stay away from that. <laughs> I don't know, because if I can make a change with the prison system, addiction, mental health, like prison reform, and help others, I do it for the right reason. But you can also have a power in doing that through your story and building a platform. Like me, I'm someone that will probably never run for a public office, but I have a platform and that's how I can contribute. Like some people ask me all the time, why don't you get your own nightclub going and this and that? And I just feel like a, that chapter is closed in my life, you know? And, and, yeah, I get what you're saying. But um, I, you know what, I, I, I always say, you know what, and you probably knew this, um, we all struggled with control. You know, when you were on the phone in prison and if that person hung up, they didn't have to answer. You couldn't text them anymore. You learned a lot about control, and I did. And we don't have controls truly of our lives. That man up there does. Um, so uh, with that being said, I always say put it in his hand, you know? You know what? You got a purpose. And I mean, I've told my wife a million times, and God gives you a puzzle, and he throws it up in the air, and he says, no, you put it together. Now, if you could go back to that young sheriff, you know, that had the option with the drugs and knowing what, and knowing now everything you know, and you knew what you were doing in that moment, would you change anything different? And what would you tell yourself? I wouldn't change anything for Kyle Overmeyer, but I would do it for somebody else. Because I think I was supposed to go through all that to get to here. Like you said, people are going to learn something from me. And I'm going to help people. And that's what I do quite a bit. People reach out to me daily on, on my messenger and Facebook because of my story. So I couldn't, I wouldn't change a thing about my past. I don't have any resentments or regrets, you know, like, and I'm sure you probably struggled. One of the things is, you know, you can forgive others, but you, you struggle with forgiving yourself. And I, I'm finally like, to that point in life. And but I don't have any regrets. I know I put my kids through things, but even my son has told me, he's like, I think this made me a better person. I mean, my kids are both, my daughter's married, graduated from college. I'm a grandfather. My son 
is um, at Tiffin University where I graduated from. He was playing baseball. He's uh, got a paid internship at a bank. I mean, my kids were successful. But also, I'm going to tell you something. Their mother did a great job, too. So... That's great, man. Well, Kyle, thank you so much for coming on the show today. No, um, thank you. Thank you for flying all the way out here. You know, I'm sure you're looking forward to the drive back with my dad. You can talk to him some more. We're bonding. I might steal him. <laughs> he might be my second dad yet. You know what uh, I, I mean? mean, he's old enough to be <laughs> your, your dad, so which is funny. No, uh, he's not. He's what is he? Forty five? No, he's turned seventy eight uh, this oh, year. Oh, he yeah. lied to me. He said he was like forty five. He, he, he looks great. Uh, he looks amazing. He right? hates his story, but um, growing up when we were kids, people would say, "Oh, you have nice grand." kids that it would piss him off so much that his own kids were being called the oh, grandkids <laughs> well you got good genetics and you got a great dad absolutely yeah. i mean family's so important it man. is it is you're blessed ian you are and you know what i hope you continue and i know you will with success and and you know what anything i can ever do for you you know, you've, you've brought me on here and I appreciate it. And I want to show you gratitude. We'll just get all the grandkids to listen to Locked In. We got it. <laughs> We've got them on there. Awesome, man. Have a safe trip back. All right. Thank you, Ian.